The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you have your Bibles or your device, whatever you have right there, that'd be great. And uh, I uh, am honored that many of our church staff are actually graduates of Pensacola Christian College. And I'll just give this brief announcement. We're always looking for staff and helpers. We have a a great school there. And uh, I don't know if I was allowed to do that, but it just did. So anyway, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Our church theme this year in 2024 is a theme taken really from verse number two, looking unto Jesus. And our thought behind that As we took a look at the year 2024, we uh, saw it shaping up as a very volatile year. Uh, A lot of confusion going on in our world right now, war and different things and the economy and politics and all of that. If you follow any of it, and I want to challenge you, even though you're in college, college age, I want to challenge you to keep your uh, uh, thumb on the pulse of America because it is the culture that you live in. And it's shaped up, unfortunately, by our leaders and not by the Lord Jesus Christ. We certainly need revival in America. We saw 2024 shaping up to be a very volatile year, a pivotal year, uh, a year that just about anything in the world could happen. There are uh, prognosticators that indicate uh, some pretty bleak things right now for our nation. We have no idea what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. But more than that, I, as a pastor, saw it shaping up into a prophetically notable year. Uh, I may say more about this in the next chapel, but if you look at Matthew chapter 24 and the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, he was giving us some idea what it would be like in the tribulation. In fact, very accurate details are given in Matthew 24 about uh, those seven years of tribulation. It was a message to Israel. But if you take a look at those things, we we would understand the rapture prophetically occurs before the seven years tribulation And we take note of some things that that are beginning to take place right now so we can see the stage being set for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize I say it, I'm saying that to an age group that you may be thinking in your heart, well, I'm just now getting started in life and you're going to tell me that Jesus Christ is coming back. I remember those thoughts. I had those when I was younger. But may I say that you're in a choice generation of servants, that these are the best years of the world and our nation for the gospel to go forth. And I want to challenge you in this today. If the return of Christ is near, and by the way, it's got to be nearer than it's ever been, then you and I should be on our game, running our race better than ever before. And I want to challenge you in those great truths. And so we put this thought out there to our church and we're kind of beating that drum this year. And I want to challenge you with some great truths. I do not know if you have a habit of doing so, but let's stand together, please, reading God's Word. We do that at our place. And I want to read just three verses right here. And uh, I want us to take note of some things. And I'll be brief in my statements today. I'm watching the clock right here. And I understand that the bell will ring in just a while. And worse than that, you hear the, uh, the speaker hears that dreaded sound of all those seats folding up and people walking out. So we'll be ready to go in all of that. I want you to look at verse number one. The scriptures say, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And by the way, that is in reference to chapter 11. Uh, Nearly 15 names are mentioned there of people that ran the race. They're in glory right now. 
And then others are referenced there. Hundreds of names are referenced there in chapter 11. We see that. We are compassed about, surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here it is, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to speak on that subject right there, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, today, I ask you, Lord, please to bless this time from thy word. We thank you for the inspired scriptures before us today. We hold in our hands and we have just read the word of God. Challenge us, Lord, with his truth today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So uh, here we are. Uh, the middle of February, running through our new year, a year, as I mentioned, full of uncertainty. And uh, let me ask you right now, where are you at in your race as a believer? We don't often look at it like that. Uh, some may say, how you doing? Or if you're from the South, how you doing? Or if you are a lady, oh, how are you? Or if you're from the North, how are you doing or if you're from the street, it's sup. So how are you doing in your race? Did you realize you're running a race, this course of life that we're on? We're all part of what many call the human race, but here in the Bible, it literally describes our life as a race. And the only way that any of us are going to complete our race successfully will solely depend on how well you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you say, well, I'm not racing anywhere, uh, preacher. I'm just kind of sitting here right now. For, don't forget now, I'm in college. Well, we're in a race. I like what Pastor Redland said uh, last night about exercise equipment. He was talking about going to yard sales, and he's exactly right, man. That's one of the first things you can always look for, exercise equipment there. And I don't really understand why people go to gyms. I know you do, and probably I should go to a gym. But in our upstairs we have everything we need. We have a treadmill in our rec room. We have a weight bench there with the weights. We've got a, a boxing bag. We've got a weight machine with the cables and all the, the apparatuses. We don't use any of it. In fact, if you walked into our rec room, our grandkids have, uh, have Legos and Playmobiles stacked on the treadmill. And uh, you can't, we've not been on that for years. I assume it works. And then the scary thing is when you turn the light on, we have, we have uh, these big teddy bears about like that. There's two of them for the grandkids. And I went in the other day and turned the light on. My grandson had one of them hanging by that weight machine like this, scared the willies out of me. And so really none of us any good for, for, for any of us. And, and so, uh, you know, as far as exercising and racing, one lady said the other day I read where she named her dog Five Miles. That was the name of her dog so that when she went into work, she could tell all of her friends, she said, I've been out walking five miles. Maybe you want to do that in your life as well. Probably a wise thing to do. And you may say, well, I'm not really racing anywhere, but if you're a born-again Christian, you're in a race. You have a course ahead of you. Andrew Murray said this, and I quote, one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is to remain stationary. 
not advancing beyond your beginning with Christ at conversion. This almost always leads to backsliding in a life of sin. That's a quote taken from a book entitled The Holiest of All, a great book. For any Christian to shy away from their participation in the race that is set before us tells a lot about that person. There are some that think that they're exempt from running the Christian race. Some feel as though they're too good to submit to a life of surface, uh, service, and uh, it's beneath them, you might say. Some fear the persecution that comes along with stepping out for God and running as hard as they can in the race. But uh, when you consider what we find in chapter 11 of Hebrews and the perspective of the saints from heaven, you begin to understand how cowardly a backslidden Christian looks before that great cloud of witnesses there that are watching us race. You begin to understand from their perspective how confused a silent Christian uh, is about their own faith and how it appears and let alone those around them that don't understand why they refuse to live their life openly for God, silent, secret agent Christians. When you look from heaven's perspective, these saints that have gone on before us, you begin to understand how cold-hearted a bench-warmer Christian looks in the eyes of their Savior who shed his blood for them. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he begins to accuse the Galatian church of not obeying the truth of the Bible, not following through. And he says this, he said, you did run well, who hindered you? Again, speaking of the race, the course that the Christian is running right now. And he said, who hindered you? Who slowed you down? Who stopped you? I'm just saying this morning that everyone that is named by the name of Jesus Christ is in this race. And everyone should be actively involved in running that race. We need all of you. And we're all being watched. So I ask you today, how are you doing? Looking unto Jesus. How are things? I want to mention three things from the text today. I want you to maybe jot these down and consider them today, if you would, by way of outline. Number one, as we look unto Jesus, I want us to consider, first of all, the person we are looking at is Jesus. The person we were looking to is Jesus. And here there's a great description of him. First, he is described as the author of our faith. So we understand that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ, one of the great doctrines. And Jesus is God. And God started all of this thing that we call Christianity or what is called our faith. And so here the Bible says about the one that we're looking to, that he is the author of our faith. Now, what does that mean? The word faith here uh, is not speaking necessarily of how we got saved. We get saved by grace through faith, uh, no doubt about that. But it is speaking specifically and contextually of the faith or that body of our system of beliefs found in the scriptures. Jude details it uh, more clearly in his book when he says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That faith, that body of beliefs, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the six days of creation, all those things, redemption, are contained and many others contained in what you're being taught right here in Bible college, in your Bible classes, what we define as the faith once delivered. And so Jesus, the Bible says, is the author of all of that. For instance, Christ was there 
In Genesis chapter 1, in the Trinity, whenever uh, creation unfolded before our very eyes, he was uh, played a leading role in creation. As God, Jesus is the author and the originator of the Word of God, co-inspired by the Holy Spirit, John 1, 1. John said of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. That's a capital W, a proper noun. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with, the word was with God. The Word was God. You skip down to verse number 14, we find out who the Word is. And the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten Son of God. So ladies and gentlemen today, understand that uh, Jesus is the author of our faith. This one that we're looking to is the author of our faith. Uh, he is the author of Calvary and the payment for our salvation. He willingly went to the cross for us. Uh, he is the great originator of heaven who said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And so this one that we're looking to is the author of Christianity, not some blogger, not some politician. We're not looking to them to, to be the savior of our souls and the savior of the world, not some pop singer, not uh, uh, maybe some movie star that's very popular that folks fall after, not some uh, hippie swami from Berkeley or some Eastern guru. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that we're looking to. Now I say that not to be sarcastic. I say that because there's a lot of people, they're looking for a lot of, pe a lot of ways and a lot of uh, popularity of folks to get them out of the mess that we're in. And this world is in a mess and we're headed for the time that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Everything is right on schedule. And the only way that you and I are going to avoid getting off track is to keep our eyes focused on the author of our faith. Not only is he called the author of our faith, but he is called the finisher of our faith, the great completer. Everything that Jesus authors, he finished. Creation, for instance, six days on the seventh day, he rested and said it was very good. He uh, said about our atonement on the cross, he said it is finished. He finished up this matter of death for you and I. When he told Mary and Martha, he that believeth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, either that's true or it's not true, but I believe it's true. Jesus Christ took care of death for all of us. The sting of death is gone. And for you and I, if we breathe our last breath right now, we'll breathe celestial air on the other side, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus Christ took care of that. No politician can take care of that. No blogger can take care of that. No popular exercise guru can take care of that. Only Jesus can do that. He is the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. I'm talking about the one that you and I are to be looking to every single day. He is described as the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, I will say this, that he's not finished with any of us until we get to heaven, which by the way, he has prepared for us and he has finished for us. But when we get there, we're going to get a new body someday. This old body will be cast off and the new body will be given to us. And what a wonderful truth that is. Uh, he's even going to make all things new in the world again. Behold, he says, I make all things new. So he's going, to, he's going to finish up this world. It's all going to burn someday. Second Peter chapter 3, he's going to make all things new. What a wonderful, wonderful. That's what we're heading to. That's what you and I are looking unto Jesus to get us to that place. 
Um, and then thirdly, we understand he's described here as a payment for our faith. The Bible says he endured the cross for us, and I'm so glad they did. The Bible says he took upon him all of our shame, the shame of our sins. He paid the price for our, of our judgment uh, with his own precious blood. And the Bible says he sat down <clears throat> at the right hand of God. <clears throat> if you look at that last verse, last phrase, and is S-E-T, set down, not S-A-T, not S-I-T in your King James Bible. It is he set down. That means he is set there for you and I permanently forever and ever and ever as our great intercessor, interceder, as our advocate. And I thank God it's finished with him. He's there. He's ran his race for you and I, and he has completed that thing. That's the one the apostle says, you look unto Jesus. The person we're looking to is Jesus, the son of God. The saints in chapter 11 died looking unto Jesus. And by the way, you can go through chapter 11 and see a lot of great truths of how they did that. Even in the Old Testament, if you and I understand that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Jesus didn't come on the scene at the incarnation. Jesus was before Genesis 1-1. And so you see glimpses of Jesus, what's called Christophanies throughout the Old Testament. What a wonderful truth it is. Jesus was there and those Old Testament saints had a way of being able to see him who, who is invisible. And I thank God for that. And you and I need to learn how to do those things in our generation as well. So Paul, or the, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the saints of, of chapter 11 died looking unto Jesus. And in essence, what he was saying is this. I did the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can you say that right now? I'm fighting a good fight. I'm going to finish my course, my race, my life. I'm going to do that and I'm going to keep the faith. The word faith is found at least 23 times in the previous chapter. It is a great hall of fame of faith. And all these people from Abel right on down to Moses and Samuel in that great list, they all got through the same way looking unto Jesus by faith. Number one, we see, first of all, the person we're looking to is Jesus. Number two, if you'll jot this down, we see the passion of looking unto Jesus. The passion of looking unto Jesus. The first word of our text in verse number two implies a continual process of keeping our eyes on Christ, I-N-G, I'm looking. When I get up in the morning, I'm looking unto Jesus. As I go throughout my day and I'm aware of his presence, I'm looking unto Jesus. As I finish my day and get ready to close my eyes, I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm looking, a continual process. And this speaks of our intentional focus on Christ for everything in this life. Uh, who or what are you looking for in this life right now? And we're implored here to look unto Jesus. The question comes, well, where do we look? Well, we can look literally. And the Bible tells us right where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But you and I cannot see through that veil. We cannot see the third heaven. We cannot literally drum that up. Or, and I'm not asking you to mystically try to drum that up. 
We can have some idea of maybe what the throne looks like. We've never seen it. Nobody, nobody's seen God at any time. I'm not suggesting any charismatic thought right here, but we know where he's at. Now listen to me. We have one of the great doctrines now called the bodily resurrection. Why is that important? Jesus did not raise from the grave as a spirit or a ghost. He rose from the grave bodily and he is seated on a literal throne if you could go there, you could touch it, see it, and feel it because heaven is real. And Jesus is seated there bodily. So we could consider the thought, well, if I'm looking at Jesus, locally I know where he's at, and that's a great promise. And I'm thankful for that. But then we can also look locally. Well, how do we look locally? Well, you have a Bible in your hands right now. And we just read you John 1 for a reason because Jesus is the Word. And you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the epistles that talk about uh, Jesus Christ and the history of Christ and the doctrine of Christ and the life of Christ and the example of Christ is all given in the Scriptures. In fact, John says that uh, he recorded about all he wanted to record. He gave us all we needed to know about Jesus. But if, if he wanted to write more, said the books could not contain all, all that could be said about Jesus. And so you and I have the word of God that tell us about him. And then, of course, I think we can look logically as well. We understand that Jesus left his Holy Spirit to live inside of each of us. And he is to be our comfort and our guide. And this should uh, all make sense to the person who is intentionally looking unto Jesus in this life because the Spirit of God indwells us and seals us under the day of redemption. Please understand this. God, the third person of the Trinity, lives inside of you and he will speak to your heart if you'll pray and walk with him in a pure life. And when he speaks, he always speaks the word of God. He never goes against the word of God. And so this is a great truth that when you and I grab a hold of it, it allows us to run our race with patience and looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see, secondly, the passion of looking unto Jesus. This continual study of the word of God, this continual walk with Jesus every day, and a relationship with him, it just causes a fire to burn inside our hearts. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they walked and talked with Jesus in his resurrected body, they made this statement. They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us by the way? And I want to challenge you in your course, you get up every day and walk with Jesus. Throughout your day, walk with Jesus. As you close your day, walk with Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And learn to develop a passion for the Word of God and for the power of God in your life. Number three, we see in closing the promises of looking unto Jesus. The promises of looking unto Jesus. We have the promise, first of all, of his example of how to run the race. Aren't you thankful and glad that Jesus Christ did not give up? That is, the Old Testament said when Calvary came, he set his face like a flint toward it. And he didn't draw back from the beatings and the scourgings. He did not draw back from the hurt and the scorn and the lies. 
He did not draw back when one of the number of 12 chose to walk away and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He did not let hurt stop him. He ran the race. And he went all the way to Calvary. When the time was come, he said, it is finished. That's the one that's at the end of the finish line, setting the example for us. But not just Jesus. These in that great cloud of witnesses referenced in verse number one of Hebrews 12 are all around us. And they're cheering us on. And you and I, again, we do not worship them. We worship Jesus and we don't talk to them in seances. We, we worship Jesus, but we're always aware of those great loved ones that have gone on before us. A year ago on Valentine's Day, my mother went home to be with the Lord. My niece is here, uh, Brooke Barnes, and we mourn the loss of, of her grandmother and my mother and she would tell you as well as I would today that she was our prayer warrior. I remember my mom, as she would get on her knees, and I would listen to those knees pop, even in her 80s, and she would get down with her hanky in her Bible, and she would pray for her family. And I miss her prayers, and she's in that great cloud of witnesses. My grandfather Turner that I love so dearly, a great Christian man, I miss him. And I think about some of the great preachers that helped mentor me over the years. They're in that great cloud of witnesses. I'm just saying, you and I have some promises as we look unto Jesus. We've got Jesus at the end of the finish line. His example, he did not give up. In all of these mentioned in chapter 11, they did not give up. Now let me ask you a question. What about you? Are you going to give up in your race? Are you going to be sidelined and sidetracked? We have not just the promises of his example of how to run the race, but also we have the promise of his encouragement while running the race. I believe that through the word of God and through the spirit of God, it's almost like we can hear him saying, come on, come on, come on. By the way, how many times have you been about to do something that you know is not right and the spirit of God speaks to your heart and says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. You need to apologize for that. Or maybe you're delinquent in something that, that you should be doing for God, but you choose not to attend a service or you choose not to witness or you've gone several days without reading the word of God and the spirit of God is grieved inside of you. And he said, he speaks to your heart. It's almost like he's saying, you get back in the word of God. And so as we're running this race, you've got Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. He's there. He's our example. And through the spirit of God, he is encouraging us. Come on. Come on, get back up. When you're hurt, get back up. When you feel defeated, get back up. When you get off track, as my daddy used to say, hell, get, up, get back on the road, get back on. And the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts and gets us where we need to be. And I'm so thankful that is with us every day if we'll look for it intentionally running our race. Not just the promise of the, his example and the promise of his encouragement, but the promise of enjoyment at the conclusion of the race. Now, I, for one, think you can enjoy the ride. Some people think the Christian life is a bitter, hard life, but I just want to tell you that I have a good time pretty much every day. I find a way, but, but there's a promise of enjoyment at the conclusion of the race. Here's a great truth that we can enjoy as we look unto Jesus because Jesus has not only ran our race for us, but he has fixed it so you cannot lose. 
He has already won the victory for us. And he shares that with us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You might say he has already fixed the end of the race and has assured all his children that they will arrive safely home. I'm glad about that. You might say the fix is in. <laughs> I'm already a winner. I'm more than a conqueror, Romans chapter 8, 37. I've already won the victory. I don't mean the fix is in like some mafia boss. Hey, Tony, the fix is in. I don't mean that. I mean, Jesus has got this thing settled. And all he asks for me to do and all he asks for you to do is keep our eyes on him and run that race with patience, not in competition with yourself or anyone else. It's my race. It's your race. And we've already won. All that remains is just finish the course. I close with these thoughts. Hebrews chapter 11, you can look just across the page here at verse 24. It says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, watch this, underline this, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. They just had a way of by faith seeing Jesus. Don't you just wish somebody could come back from the Old Testament and say, hey, hey, could someone just stand up and testify? How did you do that? Noah, the big ark. Where in the world did you get the plans for that? <coughs> well, I think he sat back there on his drawing board and drew it all up and the Lord helped him and he could see that thing, that which was invisible, no rain. He did it all up by faith. Abraham, how in the world and why would you leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place you'd never been before? Well, I could just see some things by faith. And by the way, you can see them too. And I want to challenge you. What are you looking at? Who are you looking at? How are you doing with your race? Say, I'm in Bible college. I'm not running anywhere. Yes, you are. You are right now sitting in that seat. Are you hindered? Are you sidelined? Are you running the race? Are you intentionally aware that you're on a course? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.